This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. There's a sick kind of machinery that cranks into gear whenever a mass shooting takes place. Dave Cullen is a part of the machinery. Unfortunately, yeah, I'm the mass murder guy, which is awful, but that's what it is. He wrote the definitive book about Columbine. It transformed him into a color commentator on the horror of American gun violence. Joining us now is Dave Cullen. He spent years as a Denver journalist researching and reporting on the Columbine shootings. Uh, Dave, thank you for joining us tonight in these difficult circumstances. Thanks for having me, Rachel. I do the TV shows when I'm asked to do it. You described getting a text from a producer that was like, Another yes. fucking shooting. <laughs> yes. yes, that was actually one of Anderson Cooper's uh, producers. That text that Dave got a year ago today, it was his first sign that this machinery was starting up all over again. This time at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. 17 Julia 5, I have the gunshot victim. I want to take a minute here and just say that Dave has a funny way of talking about mass shootings. It's as if he's trying not to linger on the trauma itself. He speaks in these big, bright loops of conversation, leaping away from the awful bits. Sitting across from him, the way he spoke, it felt like a form of self-protection. He spent years processing the murders at Columbine. Yeah, but my, my shrink was pretty clear, like, if you do this ever again, you might not live through it. I mean, that's, like, worst case. I mean, that's probably not going to happen. But, I mean, that's the thing of, like, with depression, you have to be careful. But Dave couldn't get the Parkland shooting out of his head, especially the survivors who began speaking out about gun violence. So when an editor called, asked if he'd get back out there one more time. But I said, OK, I'm not going back to cover the grief, but I'm going to. After 19 years, somebody has finally stepped to the plate and punched a hole in this rat maze that we've been trapped in and said, this is the way out. Follow us. And I was like, we, I think we're all like, oh, we didn't expect kids to lead us up. And I put a time limit on it. It was going to be first a month. But in the process, I mean, I kind of fell in love with those kids and what was going on. I was like, yeah, and that, God, it is addictive behavior. I was like, OK, I, I, I can't leave. What Dave saw at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas was people like him, people looking to propel themselves out of their trauma through a sheer act of will. And these kids he followed for the last year, he thinks they're figuring it out, drawing a roadmap that could transform the raw emotion of this country's debate over guns into action. Today, he'll tell us how. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I was at CNN and I had just had the conversation after my segment with uh, Chris Cuomo and saying, yeah, I think this is probably going to be my last one. I'm going to just call quits after this and refuse to do this. I'm not being the mass murder guy anyway anymore. Five minutes later, I get on the elevator at CNN headquarters. They have they have monitors on the elevator so you can see the live feed. David Hogg is just starting his interview. You might remember David Hogg from those first few days after the shooting. He became an early and ubiquitous presence on the news networks. Wiry, intense. He was a Stoneman Douglas student, worked at the school TV studio, He'd taken footage of the shooting on his phone as it happened. He was also really direct. Do you have a message for the lawmakers? Do you have a message for Congress, for the president? My message to lawmakers in Congress is please take action. Ideas are great. Ideas are wonderful and they help you get reelected and everything. But what's more important is actual action and pertinent action that results in saving thousands of children's lives. And I'm watching it live. I stayed on the elevator. And watched like the whole eight minutes or whatever, because I'm like, this is not a first day survivor. This is different. He had jumped several stages of grief. He like jumped ahead. They're supposed to be still like in the in the trauma phase, in the shock phase, in the numb phase, sometimes in the anger phase. He had jumped all the way ahead to action. The fact that just one small minute of action can make a huge difference, and that's what I want people at home to know. They can make a difference in their community. They can make a difference in the world. They can do that by calling out their congressmen, talking to government uh, legislators, and letting them know this is not acceptable. My God, David, you've got a a better action plan than our own elected leaders. Um, That normally comes like weeks or months later, and he'd gone right to it. And then I got home, and like all these kids were like, oh, this is amazing. Well, so it strikes me that your book, you went in sort of wanting to chronicle these kids who moved you so much. But what you ended up doing is kind of breaking down the DNA of how a movement like this starts and what makes it work. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you talk about social media. You talk about how they're building something that's based on connection, not division. Mm -hmm. I wonder what else you'd highlight where you'd say, like, this is what kept it going. Yeah, you know, uh, everyone has heard some of the, the, the big names, and I tried to include the ones you've heard of in the book and more about some people you haven't heard of. So Emma Gonzalez sort of became the face of this movement, and I would say David Hogg is kind of the voice of it, and he's kind of like the pugilist out there on Twitter every day, every hour fighting for it. Um, but then behind the scenes, there are little fascinating things. Jackie Corrin is like, she's the producer. She's the doer, the implementer. And anyway, this was a team of creatives, mostly drama people and news people. They never would have actually produced the, you know, the event. They brought Jackie in, was the, the class president, and like, she, she makes it happen. It's all, it all gets done because of Jackie. Part of what I think made these kids so successful and what was clear from your book was the fact that they broke out of their suburban bubble and they reached out to people in Chicago. They literally flew in from Chicago to Florida to talk and figure out how to amplify the message that these kids had begun sort of taking to the media. So can you tell me a little bit about how that all happened? They said right away that like, okay, we don't want this just to be about like saving affluent white kids in the suburbs. 
someone connects the Parkland kids with a pastor in Chicago. The pastor says, I've got some kids here. You should meet. It's a Friday. The Parkland kids say, great. How about tomorrow? Can you guys fly from Chicago to Florida in the morning? I think the church paid for it and got them plane tickets. They were on a plane the next day, and and they went to Emma Gonzalez's house, and, like, she took them into their house, like, hugging, and, like... So they all met Saturday and spent a good part of the day and talked, exchanged stories, like, what it's like to live through a school shooting versus what it's like to live on the south side of Chicago or the west side of Chicago. With just ambient violence. Yeah, yeah. And it, it has stories about, like, all the members of your family that have either been shot or escaped gunfire, like... These kids from Chicago are with a group called the Peace Warriors, They know people have been shot. Some of them have been shot themselves. So the kids just start sharing their stories, sometimes as a group, sometimes one-on-one. They're trying to find ways to focus their activism, a way to govern this movement they want to create. One of the kids from Chicago, his name is D'Angelo McDade. He says, hold on, what we're talking about here, it reminds me of the principles of Martin Luther King Jr., the six principles of nonviolence. Principle four is especially relevant. Nonviolence holds that suffering can educate and transform. And so he had these six dog tags, which each one has a peace symbol and like principle number one or whatever. Had Emma Gonzalez ever heard of the principles before? Never. No. And so he like showed these and started talking to her about them. And she said, wow, wait a minute. Can we do this with the whole group? And he said, sure. And she's like, OK, let's get everybody together. And then she had him, you know, tell the whole group about it. They were just kind of stunned. So over this weekend, they were able to kind of reframe their conversation as not just about here's what happened at our school, but here's how it fits into a wider social justice framework and fits together with you somewhere else and a different color and a different socioeconomic class. Totally. And also the how to go about it. You know, the March for Our Lives, because it had already been kind of fumbling for rules of what they wanted. And I was really surprised. I was shocked at how many things they said no to, like not making fun of um, people like Marco Rubio or like really having a heart. So they were they were like trying to police themselves and like come up with a set of rules. And, you know, they were trying to make it up. And then when like the, the, the Chicago kids like told them these principles, they were like, oh, Martin Luther King already did that. We don't have to recreate the wheel. This has been going on for a long time. And like, and over the last year, they've done a lot. They've led marches. They've gone on tour across the country. Myself and a few other Peace Warriors were able to take a trip to visit Parkland students and share our trauma with one another. The big event was the March for Our Lives in D.C. The Parkland kids were the faces of it. But the Peace Warrior kids from Chicago, they were on the main stage, too. For we are survivors. For I am a survivor. For we are survivors not only of gun violence, but of silence. We are the survivors of unjust policies and practices upheld by our Senate. What are the signs that anything is changing? Are there signs anything is changing? There are huge signs. So after there was huge hope after Columbine, Virginia Tech, and Newtown. And each one of those failed to do just about anything on guns. In fact, the assault weapons ban expired. So we had no assault weapons uh, allowed at Columbine. So we've gone way back on that. But even after after Newtown, um, most of the laws passed on the state level the next year were to loosen gun regulations. And that's been happening. We have been like losing ground ever since. This past year was the first time that was completely reversed. 
And uh, tell me what you mean by that. Well, it's in the book. It's something like 80 ish. I, I can't remember the number. I should memorize it. Were laws passed last year to strengthen gun safety. That has not happened in a generation by itself. But still, that's kind of small potatoes. You know, the big thing is the federal level. They decided at the beginning to change the legislation. We have to change the legislators. Change them or get them to grow a backbone and start doing something. In fact, the dirty little secret of Washington is like almost all Republicans in Congress back most of these ideas. But we're scared to death of the NRA to do it. And even the Democrats have been cowering for the last generation, at least since 2000, when Al Gore ran on guns and lost. The NRA could spell a death sentence, especially to Republicans primarying them. And basically, that's no longer true. Like so many Republicans defied them and so many Democrats ran and beat them uh, for the first year ever. The money um, on the side of gun safety outnumbered the NRA for the first time ever. It used to be that it was asymmetrical. You say Nancy Pelosi has taken an especially clever stance. She has. Well, I also see her as like a, a, a harbinger. Like the fact that the morning after Election Day, One of the first things she said in her first press conference is one of the first things we do is going to introduce gun regulations. She would not have done that before. They were hiding from votes. She would do everything in her her power to avoid a vote so that none of her people had to run with that vote and so it could be used against them. Suddenly it's flipped the script where now she wants her people running on on, on this vote and she wants to to use it as a club against the people who vote against it. So you're saying that's a sign in and of itself of what's happening. Huge. It completely flipped the script. Okay, the House can pass these bills. the, The Senate won't. So in two years, Every one of these districts, they can run saying, I voted for this, you voted against. And up until last year, it was the opposite. And we just saw a hearing in the House. For the first time in eight years that it's even had a hearing, that this has even been brought up. There's been silence in the halls of Congress. Dave Cullen thinks about a focus group a friend told him about. A Republican analyst talking to a group of NRA supporters. After Parkland, even they thought something needed to be done to curb gun violence. But they were scared of what that would mean. They are afraid of giving an inch and will take a mile and that there will be a landslide against them and they'll take all their guns. They're really afraid of that. Gun America is ready to make a deal. But we need to convince them in good faith, like, okay, we will meet you in the middle somewhere and do some kind of deal and stop there and not take away everything. That's what really has to happen. And no one knows how to have that conversation. There is no trust to have that conversation. And that's why the kids, that's where they've struggled. They realize we have to go to Red America. We're going to these places to talk. But then it's still a very us versus them, you know, fight thing and no one give an inch. So that's what they have, the code they have not cracked yet, is how Hmm. do we get both sides to give some inches and trust each other to find that place? No one knows how to do that yet. I have one more question, which is, I wonder if you see yourself as a journalist or as an advocate at this point? Well, kind of neither. I mean, um, kind of journalist, definitely not an advocate. Well, I am a champion of like finding some solution and finding some Mm -hmm. compromise and doing something. So I'm not taking any specific stances on anything, but I'm like, come on. And so, yes, I'm an advocate for like the 99% that says we have to stop our children from dying. And um, And probably an advocate for never writing another book like this again. That is my worst nightmare. But this is different because this is not about the tragedy. This is about hopefully the way out. God help me if it's not solved and, you know, there's a need to do another book. 
Dave Cullen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Mary. This, is, this has been great. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Dave Cullen is the author of the book Parkland. That's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. The reviews really help. We promise. Thanks. Talk to you tomorrow. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.